Hit it. Tune into the manifesto hosted by Emily Wheaton, Logan Cook, and Logan Bishop. The Political Science Society's new radio cast. Catch us on local 107.3 FM and wherever you find podcasts. Boom. Welcome to the Manifesto. I'm your host, Logan. Today, my guest is David Kuhn, MLA for Fredericton South and leader of the New Brunswick Green Party. Hi, David. Hi, Logan. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. So, recently, the Premier announced that the by-elections for the three rights are vacated last fall will be held on April the 24th. Yeah, the exactly. Greens, the Greens have nominated really strong candidates in those rights, particularly the two rights up north. Can you talk about the by-election in the Greens' plans to win more seats in legislature? Well, absolutely. It's, it's, it's really important that we get uh, uh, more Greens in the House and uh, they provide the kind of representation to constituents that is, is in my opinion, phenomenal. Uh, people are heard, people are respected, doesn't matter how they actually vote in the election, everyone is, is uh, treated the same. And, uh, and uh, our MLAs work hard to resolve issues for people in their constituency and bring their issues to the floor of the Legislative Assembly if they need to get addressed there. So um, we have great candidates in all three ridings. Uh, what, uh, what, uh, what the candidates and the volunteers are hearing at the door is, is uh, affordability crisis, healthcare, healthcare affordability crisis, you know, so the challenges of inflation, living with that, and the, the problem with accessing healthcare, whether it's um, uh, lack of a family doctor or nurse practitioner, mm-hmm. uh, act, uh, waiting wait times for cancer surgeries, um, having cancer surgeries postponed, um, that sort of thing. So it's uh, accessing mental health care continues to be a really difficult uh, uh, challenge. So that's what they're hearing at the door. And uh, those are, are two issues that we, um, we've got uh, great solutions for that we've been pushing hard for in the legislature. The Electoral Boundaries Commission submitted their final report, which does split your riding of Fredericton South. Splits Fredericton South right down the middle, right through downtown. Can you talk about your feelings about the commission and their decision to split your riding into two? Well, a couple of things. One of the frustrating things about it is that there's no obligation on their part to explain the rationale for mm-hmm. where they draw the boundaries. They're not required to tell you. That doesn't seem fair at all. Uh, secondly, of course, if this stands, um, I, I'm, I, I just, I'm so attached to the, my constituents across the riding and work so hard for, to help so many people um, that I just, uh, I would hate to, to lose um, that, that um, connection with, with so many people. Uh, true, I would gain um, many more, uh, you know, other people um, new, new for me, which is great. But uh, but losing the folks I built relationships with over the over the last six years or, or so has uh, been or eight years has been uh, has been incredible. Um, I'm so the status of it is I filed the official objection as is <laughs> permitted by the legislation and. Um, Objections based on what's in the legislation and in the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which the legislation refers to. So um, what the Charter of Rights and Freedoms says in Canada is that um, every 
every Canadian must be have effective representation in their um, provincial legislatures or or federal parliament, and um, and that includes ensuring things like the communities of interest uh, to the degree possible are maintained within the same um, electoral riding. And uh, as you pointed out at the outset here, this proposal uh, divides the riding right up uh, Regent Street. And, and so effectively what it does is, is uh, break up a very strong community of interest represented by the downtown residential flat and the downtown business district uh, that's recognized by the city of Fredericton as its own sort of um, uh, identity, having its own identity. The city of Fredericton has its own master plan for, for that large neighborhood. Uh, they call We call the downtown plat and uh it will be it will be bisected um so so that was the basis of my objection and i included actually as an appendix the city of veterans downtown master plan for the uh, that neighborhood for the downtown residential plat um which essentially stretches from uh just below the university over to uh, smith street for people who are familiar with Fredericton. I, I interviewed Megan Min it's probably two weeks ago now, and she's facing the same thing. Her writing is also getting split into basically two. It, to me, it does seem kind of partisan. The commission was liberals and conservatives. The Greens and half the member on the commission that they are splitting your writing and splitting Megan's writing. It does seem kind of politically motivated to me. Well, um, as far as Megan's writing goes, th that was a longstanding issue. Uh, and there was a commitment to fix the problem that the, that was created the last time the boundaries were drawn. And that was, um, again, in terms of effective representation, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms includes not only communities of interest, uh, needing to be within the same, um, uh, riding, but also uh, linguistic groups, uh, uh, as much as possible should be contained within, uh, within the same riding. And in the last time, um, that was, uh, interfered with when uh, Memorial Cook was attached to the Sackville area. Mm -hmm. And so there was a commitment at that time that the next time the boundaries would be redrawn, it would be addressed. Um, and so this is, this is more of a, uh, a hangover from, from then, uh, to properly respect the, uh, the, uh, the, those legal and constitutional requirements, uh, for effective representation. Now, that's not, uh, Megan really effectively represented um, her whole writing, including uh, francophones uh, and and those who were concentrated in the Memram Cook Valley. Um, I mean, Megan's uh, of mixed heritage. Her mom's Acadian. Her her dad is Anglophone, and she's um, uh, perfectly bilingual. So uh, I know she's much loved by many people in, in Memram Cook. But uh, but anyway, that's that's where it came from, um, and uh, and it's being res so yeah. So that's that's what happened. Um, but, uh, but the other thing I think for Fredericton is, um, the city of Fredericton made its own proposal, um, which to, to, to contain all of Fredericton within four, uh, ridings, two urban ridings, one on the south side, one on the north side, and two suburban ridings that would wrap around south side in one, in one case and the north side riding on the other case. Uh, and, um, I supported that. It would obviously have made uh, changes to my riding, but they were based uh, on logic and addressing clear needs. Um, and, uh, I was quite happy with the, the changes that they were proposing. Uh, but 
here is the important point that the the boundaries commission responded to uh, pretty much every other municipality that had raised concerns or, or made proposals uh, with respect to where the boundaries needed to go and ignored Fredericton. They ignored Fredericton in the original proposal and they ignored Fredericton when it registered its complaint about the preliminary report. Okay. Um, they ignored their proposal. So you wonder exactly what is going on. There is an empty seat on the commission, which was supposed to be the seat that would have held, been held by the person nominated by uh, by the Green Caucus. And uh, uh, we tried to, to play by the rules and bring our nominees to the Legislative Assembly's committee that's supposed to decide who, who sits on the committee. Um, but um, uh, the Premier's office wanted all of those uh, people to be vetted through uh, his office. And um, we, we simply said, well, no, we, that's not how it's supposed to work. We will play by the rules um, and uh, we'll, we'll copy you, certainly, Mr. Premier, on who, whose names we're submitting um, at the Legislative Administration Committee, where the decisions are supposed to be made, where the authority is supposed to lie. But this is another example of how uh, over success of governments now, Premier's office has usurped the authority of the Legislative Assembly so that our provincial parliament is a mere shadow in terms of its authority to to ensure good representation for the people of this province, a mere shadow of what it, what it once was. Something that I recently just learned with that was in the Greens 2020 election platform was that the Greens said that they would invest in commuter rail in New Brunswick. Can you explain more about your vision for commuter rail? Absolutely. We're well, we're well placed for commuter mail computer rail, commuter rail uh, to link uh, to link our three major uh, urban centers mm-hmm. St. John Fredericton um, to uh, provide two things one uh, and also to link the south with the north uh, so that would provide uh, rapid transit for people who uh, who uh, don't drive uh, can't afford to drive uh, or would rather not drive because they're trying to reduce their carbon footprint and so um, we've, we've, for the most part, have the rails in place. Um, we need to add a few for Fredericton. And uh, that would, that would uh, link us all together quite nicely. Um, and if it were designed properly to interact with the, an improved uh, provincial bus system, then we would have a good public transit system for the entire province. Um, what, on the environmental side, um, we're going to have no choice. Uh, the, the biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions um, in New Brunswick and in Canada is from driving. So mm-hmm. we've got to reduce the amount of driving going on. But you can only do that if there's a clear, um, convenient, affordable alternative. And uh, that needs that infrastructure needs to be put in place. Uh, so that was our commitment. That is our commitment uh, to do just that. We would undertake negotiations with Via Rail um, and with uh, the... the uh, uh, province of, uh, of Nova Scotia um, um, so that we could get the efficiencies of scale. Uh, so we would have both commuter rail within the province and regional rail linking New Brunswick and Nova Scotia um, for uh, moving back and forth between our two provinces as well. Uh, so that's um, that's our vision for that. And again, the, the rails are also in place, of course, still between northern and southern New Brunswick. Um, people need to get to uh, a lot of a lot of people's families now are in the south from the north. Uh, people are moving back and forth quite regularly to connect. 
Um, a lot of the health care that uh, people in northern New Brunswick need in terms of cancer treatment, heart, uh, uh, heart surgery, and so on, uh, is in the south. And so um, there's a, a need to, uh, to uh, travel back and forth for that uh, with an aging population where people uh, are just aren't comfortable driving, uh, except in the very best mm-hmm. of weather. <laughs> uh, we also, it's another reason we need uh, a good public transit system. Like, I, I would love to jump down a train here in St. John, say, uptown, and then end up in Halifax in a couple, say, five, six hours without having to drive, not worry about traffic, just sit there and relax. Exactly. I think it, I think it, would, be, it would be great to have. Absolutely. So um, we can do it. It's, you know, we had, uh, when, when we were a much poorer country, um, we had much better rail service. And so uh, we certainly are capable of doing it. It's, uh, it's um, uh, affordable. Um, we would have federal involvement, of course, in it, as uh, always has been the case with rail and, uh, and collaboration between uh, both New Brunswick and Nova Scotia to make it happen. And, and perhaps um, Quebec as well, to, uh, because I know the Gaspésie has really kind of been cut off and uh, we might be able to incorporate the, the Gaspésie, the sort of eastern extreme part of Quebec, into, this, into the system. To keep on the trains, I don't know why I love talking about rail systems and trains and all that good stuff. I've, I've interviewed uh, Taylor Backrack and MP from BC, Mike Morrison, MP from Ontario, and Jonathan Pedno, leader of the Green Party. And they are all like, we need good, fast rail here in, New- here in Canada to link the east and the west and to link everybody into the population centers of central Canada. Yeah, well, that's the other thing I, I've been told by those with expertise in, in rail transportation is that if there's a faster rail system uh, in, in the Quebec-Ontario corridor, that uh, that also will be a motivation for them to improve rail connections to uh, the East Coast to, mm-hmm. to, to basically be a feeder, feeder line for, uh, for the new uh, rapid system that, uh, that has been being discussed for Quebec, Ontario. Um, I also would like to be able to get to Montreal much more quickly than is currently possible <laughs> by rail. I love going to Montreal, and uh, and uh, we used to do it quite regularly uh, when uh, we had better rail service. Um, and I also, for reasons, I've got uh, family, some family in Ontario. I'd love to be able to uh, see them in the same way. Um. I've interviewed both Kevin Arsenal and Megan Min past month and a half, and we've talked a lot about how the government of New Brunswick can invest more in renewable energy and diverse away from the fossil fuels. How do you think NB Power can invest more in renewable and stop relying so much on fossil fuels? Well, it, it's about leadership, and we don't have the leadership right now uh, in government to ensure that happens because of the political will uh, to make mm-hmm. the transition to substantially uh, 100% renewables is uh, not there at all. Um, and it's going to take strong political leadership to do so, but the culture and, and MB Power um, has really been built around being a, a nuclear utility. Uh, so that's really how they're oriented. Um, but, um, you know, and, and actually I was very disappointed to see the new... Uh, chairman of the board stepped down because his vision was much more aligned with the way our our, our parties is in terms of uh, moving towards a more decentralized renewable based 
system of power generation and, and more um, ability to manage uh, the actual demand at the household and business level on the, uh, on the flip side of it. Um, this is, this is also lines up with the CEO of Siemens, who's been involved with smart grid development in New Brunswick. Uh, I met him the other day in here. And, uh, uh, I mean, that is, that really is the future, uh, unfortunately. And, and, and you can see it actually in a pilot project that's been established in Shediac. Uh, it hasn't received very much attention. I think I convinced the CEO of Siemens to document it, um, uh, with, with, by, uh, by through video. To really promote and and and, um, and present um, what the future uh, should look like based on the work that's being done in, in the Shediac pilot, and the Shediac pilot is pulling together a combination of smart grid, so um, uh, uh, it's kind of like the Internet of Things in a way, um, with uh, demand flexibility in terms of managing demand in individual houses. Um, uh, microgrids for transmit for for dis distributing energy uh, and uh, solar uh, uh, efficiency improvements and solar uh, generation. Yeah, uh, here in St. John, St. John Energy, they're investing. I think it's ten wind turbines out in Lawrenceville. Like we have the Bay of Funday right here on shores. It has some of the highest like high winds all year round. We should use those winds and. Make it, make it, make it into energy that future generations can rely on and get away from our fossil fuel reliance. It's a brilliant project. Uh, and of course, now, uh, wind is much cheaper, um, than uh, any other new sources of, uh, power generation. Um, and in, in combination with the wind farm that, uh, St. John Energy has had built there, uh, they've got substantial grid utility scale storage batteries. Um, to go with it. So, so it's a brilliant project. Um, it's going to save uh, St. John money and uh, will provide significant source of renewables uh, to St. John. But to my point about the lack of political leadership and, and will around the development of renewables and the culture of MB Power not being oriented that way, MB Power um, really put up all kinds of barriers in the, in the way of St. John Energy get, getting that project done, including not allowing St. John Energy to use MB Power's high voltage lines just to move the power from uh, the Laurenville area into uh, the heart of the city. Um, so so uh, St. John Energy ended up building its own high voltage lines to get around that problem. But that's an example of how they put barriers in the way of its development. Um, to my, my second point of that question is, what are your thoughts on nuclear energy and those small multi reactors that the government seems to be really big fans of? Well, it's the most costly way of generating power, uh, so it doesn't make any economic sense. Uh, it is uh, environmentally problematic because of the uh, incredibly tox toxic incredible toxicity of the radioactive waste uh, that's extremely long lasting that it produces. Um, and, uh, and of course, uh, with particularly unlike Point Pro itself, uh, with these small modular reactors, which are designed to be exported around the world, uh, and given the kind of technology they're going to be using, um, involving the extraction of plutonium, um, from the waste and using plutonium to, uh, in one of the, the technologies to plutonium to fire the reactors, uh, you're adding to the, uh, risk of nuclear proliferation exponentially. And so uh, that's a, a terrifying uh, 
potential consequence of exporting these things around the world. At this point, uh, and the other point is in terms of uh, responding to the breakdown of our climate, uh, they're not going to be in any way ready soon enough uh, to to decarbonize uh, our system that we need to do this decade, not in the future. And so uh, we need to focus on all the other proven technologies that are uh, renewable and affordable and uh, don't produce uh, toxic and hazardous wastes. Uh the, the UN recently released a report that says to basically to avoid cash, tra cash traffic climate change effects, you must take action immediately. It says countries like Canada must cut their emissions in half by 2030 and to zero by 2050. I know it's a federal issue, but what can be done in New Brunswick to lower our emissions and to avoid climate hell? So um, we know... We know that Baldoon is basically going to be uh, shut down by the end of the decade. So that large source of emissions will be gone. Um, so what we'll be left with is the, are the emissions associated with driving, both uh, directly from driving vehicles and trucks uh, and from the emissions from the refinery to supply that gasoline and diesel fuel. So the focus in New Brunswick particularly has got to be on, uh, on providing alternatives uh, to, to driving. And that's why I'm so um, pumped on the uh, uh, urgency of uh, putting in place a, uh, a real meaningful and effective, affordable um, and, uh, and convenient public transit system across the province that integrates commuter rail with, uh, with the bus systems to, and, and within our cities, of course, uh, improving transit uh, and improving uh, uh, active transportation infrastructure uh, one of the things that the, that the province has been really blind on is supporting cities in putting in place, for example, pedways uh, to enable people to get from here to there um, safely across highways that bisect our uh, cities um, instead of having to jump in their car to take the long way around just to get essentially to the other side of the highway. The Hays government announced the provincial budget a few weeks ago now. What did you see in the budget that you liked and what do you think was missing from the budget? Uh, what I liked was the uh, announcement of the budget that they were going to increase the wages of uh, uh, care workers, personal care workers, uh, workers in special care homes um, and people who provide home care. Uh, that's that much needed and, uh, and mm -hmm. a, good, uh, a good decision. Uh, in the budget. Um, but looking at the other areas of the budget, um, I, 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 there are huge opportunities I missed to uh, invest in improving access to public, uh, to primary health care. Um, for example, just to very specifically uh, to create a new funding model for nurse practitioners uh, so that they would be able to be paid to work in collaborative practices with physicians and other healthcare professionals. Very specific, very straightforward right now there's no uh they would is either have to pay it out of the pocket of the of the physician they'd be working with or somehow convince say horizon health to put them on their payroll for the, uh, when they're working with a physician in a collaborative care team so there needs to be a, a direct model where they can be compensated um and paid without going through uh, all of that while jumping through all those hoops so that's a very uh, specific example uh, two others on health would be uh, rolling out collaborative, uh, sorry, community health centers. Um, I, I uh, visited uh, one for Queens North based in Minto today 
It's just extraordinary. You've got collaborative care teams working out of the community health center. It's, it's uh, integrated in the community in a, in a very profound way. Uh, so it, it's the model, really the poster child for what needs to be established in every corner of this province. Uh, and there was no, nothing in the budget to do that. Uh, and finally, uh, to deal with the, the, the mess in our ERs, uh, we need to see, and we don't see it in the budget, uh, Horizon and Vitalite establishing urgent care clinics that would uh, draw all those people who can't see their doctor, don't have a doctor, away from having to sit in the ER, ER for 15, 16, 18, 20 hours and uh, treat them um, in a, essentially a family medicine clinic um, when their needs are urgent, but not, you know, they're not, they're not really needing emergency care. We need to return our ERs to the special, to, to the specialty that their nurses and doctors are trained for. And that's to mm -hmm. provide emergency medicine. It's a very important and, uh, and, and, and a unique specialty. Um, and our physicians and nurses in our ERs are excellent at it. Um, but because of the lack of family doctors and any alternative to accessing healthcare, um, people have had to turn to the ERs for not emergency medicine, but family medicine when it's urgent. Um, since we last talked, I think it was like late November, the Hays government has reversed their decision to reform the French emergency system. How did you feel about that original plan that they have backtracked on? Oh, it's terrible. Uh, I agree. We need, we need, we need a, a, a strong French immersion program. Mm -hmm. uh, there's no doubt that improvements can be made to the French immersion program in two ways. Uh, one, uh, government has been biased against providing uh, educational assistance to students in the French immersion program, like literally biased against that. So that's been a problem, obviously. If you can't get educational assistance to support someone who needs help in that way uh, in the French Immersion Program, well, they're not going to go there. Um, and the other part of it is, of course, for French Immersion Programs, it does need to be more, they do need more culturally culturally connected um, uh, to New Brunswick, to uh, to Acadia. Um, and uh, that um, that's just, that's a matter of curriculum, uh, really. And uh, the smart people at... Uh, Department of Education can, can sort that out. Um, the, the other thing that, of course, needed to be fixed as well is core French. The current core French program is terrible. Um, so that needs to be improved. There's no question about it. But, but uh, instead of focusing on how, how do we improve core French, they came up with this, this cockamamie program to, to eliminate program uh, French immersion and, and then create this sort of half fast system that uh, they wouldn't even have enough teachers to run um, and it was going to create great disruptions for teachers and the education system as as other new things are coming in like the the uh, the uh, um, new literacy uh, program uh, writing and reading programs in the elementary primary grades and uh, the new high school uh, renewal program in our high school so uh, we just needed to find this again has to do this has to do with the particular obsession of the premier who's opposed to French immersion. And uh so we got this weird concoction. Uh and thankfully parents and teachers and professionals in in uh second language training came out in droves uh to 
to explain why this is was the, why that was such a bad idea, and uh, they were successful in uh, convincing the premier to to back off. I I went to the the consultation meeting they had here in St. John, I believe, back in January, and there was a lot more people than I thought there would be, and everyone there was angry about the plan. And they made it. They let people. They let the minister know that they were not happy with him. Yeah, absolutely. So, so you know, they've been crapping on the French immersion program, which has uh, worked well, um, but needs to work better for sure. Um, and uh, in the ways I explained, and uh, and then there wasn't even a discussion about how bad the core French program was and and how that could be improved. So. Um, you know, I mean, the, the core French program uh, could be done in a way so that um, students could graduate with the basics of conversational French. Um, and uh, and that's, I know that can be the case because, you know, I am unfortunately old enough uh, that uh, French immersion came in just after I, uh, it followed, followed behind me actually. So my brother um, was able to enter French immersion in grade six um, and that was the first year it was offered, and I was already in grade uh, 10 or 11 by then, uh, so too late for me, but it was great for him, it was great for my, my daughters as well, um, and so uh, that's a lot of years we're talking about, um, but uh, what I was going to say was, so I went through essentially a core French program, uh, but it was different than what's being offered now, it included conversational French classes as well as sort of the more academic um, kind of a classroom instruction on French, uh, which which did give me a good basis for conversational French, which then I built on over the years to uh, improve well beyond that. Um, the next provincial election is fall of 2024, and it is entirely possible that none of the parties win a majority government. Would the Greens help essentially pop up a liberal government, much like the People's Alliance did with the PCs from 2018 to 2020? Well, if it's a minority government, uh, we, would, uh, we would obviously collaborate in ways that would uh, uh, best serve New Brunswickers. That's the bottom line. How do we best serve the common good mm -hmm. of New Brunswick um, in minority government? And in terms of the details of what that looks like, we'll, we'll have to decide uh, at the time in terms of what what numbers actually look like and what we're dealing with because we don't know right now it's hypothetical um but uh but that's that's what drives me um we will collaborate in ways that is in the best interest of uh, for the common good for all new brunswickers and so so um that that will be what will guide us as a, a caucus uh whatever size our caucus is in negotiating um uh, any negotiations that might go on in terms of collaboration we went through these negotiations uh, in 2018, when it was minority government as well. Uh, but in the end, uh, um, we, the People's Alliance gave their support to the Conservative government, so they, uh, or the Conservatives, so they were able to uh, essentially function um, uh, as if they had a majority mm -hmm. uh, with their support. That started to drop away uh, later on, and uh, we had to then work in a more collaborative manner, which I thought was fantastic. It really gave us a taste for what most countries in the, the in the democratic world experience, and that is um, legislatures that are based on proportional representation, which automatically requires collaboration among the parties. 
to best serve the interests of the citizens of their country or, or province or state. And um, uh, that, that's where we need to get to. We need to get to proportional representation in New Brunswick. Um, it, it seems like it's the, the, the first past the post like we have is, is the normal, the norm, but it only seems like the norm because the countries we most are most familiar with, the US and, and the UK have the same system, but uh, everywhere else in the democratic world doesn't use that anymore. They have proportional representation. A question I we talked about last fall was your work with Patty Borthwick on Hillary's Law. I saw recently that, that Andrea Anderson Mason introduced a private member's bill that is essentially Hillary's Law. Can you talk more about that bill and what you hope to see come from it? Well, actually, it's a government bill, um, but I, I, I'm, I'm certain that uh, Ms. Ms. Anderson Mason was instrumental in ensuring that uh, it came about. Mm -hmm. um, so. It was uh, what uh, what we talked to Patty about. I talked to Patty about what Andrea talked to Patty about. Um, and I, I mean, I, I got involved because Patty reached out to me and I, I know her from when we lived in Charlotte County for all those years. And, and uh, she lives in Beaver Harbor from Beaver Harbor. So uh, so I talked to Andrea, um, I, you know, said I can bring a private member's bill. Specifically, the idea was um, like when a death occurs in in uh, jails, automatically there's a coroner's inquest to understand what happened and make recommendations. How could it be avoided in the future? Um, we we all agreed that there needed to be legislation that applied in the same way when deaths occur in a psychiatric ward in a hospital. Um, so uh, that's what this bill does. Um, it, it is officially legally a government bill, not a private member's bill, actually. Um, but I'm, I know that um, Ms. Andrea Mason was the driving force behind it, which is fantastic. The, during the debate on the changes to the Local Government Act last year, you said that the muscle of democratic citizenship has been atrophied in New Brunswick by the local government system. Can you unpack that statement? Will the changes to local government, will districts help strengthen the muscle again? So, um, the issue, there are two things. One is the way that it had been implemented was less than democratic. Um, so in terms of engaging the, pop, the citizens, the population, um, but uh, so that's a fait accompli now. Um, the, the, the bigger piece in a way is the, uh, all the authority, provincial government authority that's been downloaded to the regional service commissions. So the regional service commissions uh, are now essentially a third order of government um, in New Brunswick without having directly elected members. Uh, so the regional service commissions um, uh, are responsible for things like economic development, regional transportation, um, even social programs, some social programs. Uh, so this is a concern. Um, the the, the, they are run essentially by a board of directors uh, represent with representatives from the member municipalities and uh, regional or what they call rural districts. Um, um, but you know, they meet whatever once a month or something. Um, and the regional service commissions also are accountable to the Department of Local Government provincially. So, uh, so they're, they're, they're kind of a two headed beast. On the one hand, 
all these responsibilities have been downloaded from the provincial government to them, and they report back to the provincial government through the Department of Local Government. On the other hand, uh, they're governed by um, mayors and councillors um, who are elected to represent their individual municipalities, um, and, and they function as a board for them. So it's it's going to be it's going to be uh, um, important to keep a close watch on on how that functions. Now, it could function in a more democratic way if the regional service commissions, for example, in, integrate citizens committees into their work so that they're in, engaging with citizens directly. Um, if they don't do that, I think it will be less less than democratic. Um, I lost where I was at. Um, a question that I, I, I think I asked you in the fall, but I like to ask every guest I have, and you already kind of answered it, was your opinions on first past the post and how and do you support changing, changing lactose into something more proportional and representative of New Brunswickers? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, and the great thing is New Brunswick has done a tremendous amount of work at, at researching and, and examining this uh, back when Premier Lord was Premier. Um, mm -hmm. and Bernard Lowe was premier and came out with a tremendous report, um, recommendations, did extensive consultations, uh, and ended up recommending a mixed member uh, system of proportional representation. Um, so that means that you'd basically have two MLAs. One would be uh, elected in kind of the regular way people are used to, and the other would be elected based on, um, based on, uh, lists, um, provided by the different parties. Uh, so in one case, you vote for the person if you wanted, and the other person the time, and in the other case, you could vote for the party if you wanted, essentially. So, uh, so we're in a, you know, we have got a strong foundation, uh, to move forward on, on proportional representation. And, um, and we need to do that. We need to get going on it. And I, I think as I might have said last fall, I really favor the approach New Zealand took, which was to say, look, we're going to implement it. Um, and after two election cycles, we'll hold, hold a, a referendum involving everyone, see if you want to keep it or whether you want to junk it. And okay. uh, you junk it, we'll junk it. You want to keep it, we'll keep it. New Zealand, um, uh, it worked so well compared to the old first past the post system. People were what felt well served. They voted overwhelmingly to keep it after two elections with that system. Uh, what priorities do the Greens hope to work on and succeed on during this spring legislative session? So we've got five, five areas. Okay. Uh, so, um, improving uh, access to, uh, healthcare, both primary healthcare and, um, mental healthcare. We've got, and, and I mentioned uh, some of the specific, specific, specific things we want to see implemented there, uh, regarding, um, ways of paying nurse practitioners so we can get collaborative care teams working across the province. Outside of our community health centers, there are only eight collaborative healthcare teams in the entire province, which is quite pathetic because it's been talked about since 2002 um, and there's eight. Uh, so you can see the work that's needed there. Um, so healthcare, uh, uh, climate action in terms of uh, uh, driving the transition to renewable energy and, and, and building out our public transportation infrastructure. Um, third is on housing. Um, we're, we're, we've kind of helped move the needle there. We advocated long and hard to have the New Brunswick Housing Corporation um, 
re reestablished, staffed up with subject matter experts, um, and and mandated to carry out its legislative mandate, which is to ensure there's an affordable, uh, adequate supply of affordable housing. And so uh, that is happening. Um, and uh, so now we need to, to focus on the kind of housing they need to be supporting, which is non-market housing, um, co-ops, non-profit housing, seniors housing, student housing, um, housing for those with particularly special needs, whether they have intellectual disabilities or mental illness um, or, um, or addictions. Uh, by way of example, so uh, housing and then uh, um, uh, lo uh, so local food, we need to be able to feed ourselves uh, in this province, uh, in this region. It's become clear with the, the terrible droughts, multi-year droughts that are ravaging many areas of the world that we import our food from, that we've got to, we've got to have the capacity to feed ourselves. Uh, obviously, we'll also shorten those supply lines, which reduces the overall carbon footprint of our food and would improve the quality of our food because uh, the scale we have agriculture here, it, uh, uh, it lends itself much more to environmentally sustainable farming. So um, local food and uh, specifically there, we, we want to, uh, as, a, as a start, uh, have the government establish specific targets for our public institutions to uh, carry certain percentage of or serve a certain percentage of local food in our schools and our universities and our hospitals and our nursing homes and in our in our in our jails so um so that's local food and then finally uh, livable income um so uh, because of the affordability crisis uh, i think we were at a stage where we really have to uh implement uh a livable income um so so there's a couple pieces here one Income assistance needs to be immediately raised so people there uh, on income assistance can actually live, which currently they cannot. It's just it's it's just awful how how little money they have available to try and live on. Um, and, and two, we need to look at a living wage. So uh, we want to see um, a basic livable income instituted. Uh, we can do this in partnership with Ottawa. Uh, set up a couple pilot projects, one in a region. Um, uh, on the province with, uh, say, overall medium, low income, medium, median, low income, and also for particular sectors, uh, we've said uh, people living in disabilities uh, as the other project uh, to start with and then uh, get, our, get our legs under us with it and then ro roll that out so it's universal. Uh, so we need to get there. We need to get there faster, sooner than later um, to alleviate the kind of hardship that more and more people are having to live under. My first question to you was about your writing being split. So this one is, which writing do you plan on running it? Well, we'll wait till we'll wait till uh, the final uh, report comes out at the end of the month. Um, okay. See if my objection has had any um, impact, uh, because you know if the if the uh, commission actually moves uh, modifies the boundaries in any way, that might have an impact on where I decide. Which which part I decide to run in? So we'll see what that looks like. And my final question to you is: What do you think is? What do you feel is your greatest accomplishment as an MLA? Ah. Well, um, I would say, um, I would say as leader, my greatest achievement was um, so far has been to. Uh, grow the Green Party to the point where there are three elected Green MLAs who are bringing uh, issues to the floor of the Legislative Assembly that reflect uh, the priorities of New Brunswickers in a way that wasn't happening 
uh, and to actually uh, uh, move government to act on some of those. And uh, so that's, I would think, my greatest achievement, I believe. Uh, as MLA specifically, um, uh, I guess uh, uh, there's a lot uh, there, but um, I guess what I would say is uh, to to bring real representation to the to a, to the riding in the sense that um, when I started, people were very nervous about saying, "Oh, well, I didn't vote for you, and I don't know if you're going to help me." Um, or why do you want to come to our school and talk to the students? Are you going to be trying to sign them up to the Green Party or something? Because um, that's the way it felt in the past, depending, didn't matter who was the MLA. Um, but very quickly, uh, I, I um, gained the trust of everybody to, to understand that my job is to represent everyone in the riding, uh, help them directly or bring their interests to the Legislative Assembly, no matter whether they voted for me or not, uh, whether they even can vote, like people who are uh, under the uh, uh, voting age or people who are newcomers and aren't, aren't Canadian citizens at this point mm -hmm. or long-time permanent residents, what, what, what have you. Uh, and I think that's, I've, I've achieved that, uh, built that trust and built that, um, um, and why it's important, built that uh, faith that our system can work um, uh, that uh, MLAs uh, can uh, provide that kind of democratic representation, um, and, and that's uh, I, I believe I um, served as a bit of a model that way uh, for others. And uh, I know I've certainly set the bar for for my MLA colleagues who were elected four years after my first term, um, and they function in very similar ways. Well, that's all the questions I've got. Do you have anything you want to say to the people listening? I hope uh, everyone has a gorgeous spring and a restful, enjoyable, and fun summer. Well, David, uh, thank you for taking time to do this second interview with me since I started the podcast. My pleasure. I really appreciate the invitation, Logan. I really enjoy uh, these uh, conversations. Thank you, David. We'll take care. All the best. And this has been the manifesto. I'm your host, Logan. Today, my guest was David Kuhn, MLA for Fact and South and leader of the New Bunch of Green Party. Thank you for listening.